Hello and welcome to Lady Time. I am your host, Carol Fitzpatrick, and my guest today is the wonderful April Blake. April Blake is an energy healer and a medical anthropologist. When she was in her early 20s, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor, which started her on a healing journey and an exploration into the wonderful and expansive world of healing concepts and practices of other cultures. That was beyond her wildest dreams. She's blessed to have had the opportunity to have worked with indigenous healers across the world in order to address the illness. During this time, an ability to work with her hands in the human energy field opened up in her. April is now writing a book about her experiences. Welcome, April, and thank you for joining me on Hi. your time. Um, You're very welcome. It's good to be here. Great. April, um, the, this, this series is about midlife, so I'll start with midlife and then go into all that wonderful stuff about healing. Um, how, how have you found midlife and what was foremost in your feelings and mind when midlife arrived? Um, I suppose, um, hmm. um, I guess I was kind of like I deserved it. And I mean that in a, in a good sense, because um, I've had so much life experience that, um, you know, with what what happened with the illness and what I was kind of, um, I won't say made to do, but what I did, um, you know, I feel that I kind of arrived into midlife with a wealth of knowledge and experience behind me. So I, I really kind of uh, welcome this time in my life, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've seen a lot of life and uh, I, I have a lot to offer, I believe, as a result. I suppose what you're alluding to there in a way as well is that because you had a brain tumour and such a, a challenge with that over 20, 20 years, 20 plus years, uh, that midlife is very welcome. Did you, did you ever doubt that you'd make it to midlife? Yeah, it was always a possibility, um, but um, I, I did never really dwelled on it too much. I just kind of, uh, yeah, uh, did what I had to do. But yeah, it, it, that was always a possibility and it's always a possibility. No matter whether you've got a, an illness or not, um, you know, end of life can come at any time. And uh, the illness, uh, although it is uh, ultimately terminal, um it might be the illness that ultimately kills me you know it could be just something else completely random you know so well hopefully uh, it'll be very I, old old age uh april <laughs> well i hope so too but I, I would also hope that if i do arrive into old age that i'm able to meet old age with somewhat uh, a reasonable uh, physical ability you know i wouldn't like to be very old age and kind of um on machines and you know with a very low quality of life that 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 would not appeal to me at all so if i do reach old age i i hope and i pray and my vision is that um i'm able to physically uh, mentally and emotionally enjoy it sure that's great yes um so did you have any symptoms uh going into midlife that were outside of the illness did you have any menopausal symptoms or have you hit menopause I have actually hit menopause and um, I haven't had a bleed now, I'd say for maybe five or six months. And in the year or two leading up to that, they were just kind of slowly whittling away, you know. So I, I knew at least a year ago that I was I was into perimenopausal or menopause. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't, um, I haven't actually gotten any kind of uh, hormonal symptoms or, you know, upset or swings that maybe a few little hot flushes, but not many. And um, it's actually just been a very, very easy process of literally just my bleeds kind of waning down and out. And uh, yeah, that's it. So I, I kind of feel <laughs> either lucky or hard done by that I haven't had this big, you know, uh, initiation that goes with, with menopause. 
Yeah, yeah <laughs> initiation is a good word for it. But actually, you know, I think you deserved a break. And I think uh, getting getting off easily was <laughs> was the least you deserve. Uh, April, <laughs> did you find that with this time of life coming anyway, did you make any changes in your life? Well, I've naturally kind of um, slowed down uh, a fair bit and that kind of would be a consequence of the illness as well. So, um, you know, maybe a mix of both because uh, the illness kind of did ask me to to really live a lot slower than, than what I was doing, you know, in, in my earlier days, in my 20s and early 30s, I was just running around like crazy and... Um, I kind of hit a wall. Uh, I definitely hit a wall at that point with it. And so um, from then on, I've, I, I've kind of learned to become much slower in my uh, approach to life. And uh, that has kind of enhanced a little bit uh, the older I get that, you know, I just really do need to take my time. I, I, I live at quite a a slow pace um, and that suits me. And if, if I'm, it suits me physically. And uh, if I'm living kind of slowly and uh, stress-free then then the illness does not affect me as much and it also um, facilitates me to be able to do my practices um, and to do all the things that I need to do in order to, to stay healthy. And April I think that's good of all of us is to stop running around um, all the time. Um, you speak about your illness speaking to you um, so that's a nice way of uh, communicating with your illness? Yeah, I I kind of learned somewhere along the way uh, the importance of not owning the illness. So it's not my illness. It's an illness that's come to me, um, but I don't own it. And that has kind of been able to uh, separate me, the true me, from from the, the kind of degenerative entity that is that is the illness because I am not an illness, I am me. Um, so, and particularly with um, degenerative illnesses like diabetes and um, those kind of things, there is a tendency to say, I am diabetic. I am, um, you know, it's, it, it, it is, that kind of wording is particular to, to degenerative illnesses. Uh, so in my case, it would be, I am acromegalic because it's called acromegaly. And uh, those kind of I am, uh, that kind of phraseology really kind of melds the, the person with the illness, which is, which is fair enough because the illness does, these illnesses do completely take over our lives in, in every way, in physical, mental and emotional but I made a very conscious decision not to to disassociate me um, the kind of, uh, I suppose, the divine expression of, of what I embodiment that I am from a kind of uh, illness state, you know. So, so that helped me to keep on remembering that I am more than an illness. You certainly are. And I'm really glad you put up that point, April, because that's something I tell people I work with all the time. If somebody comes to me with, um, you know, that they have an illness, um, say somebody has cancer, very frequently people say, my cancer, and it's almost taken ownership of it. And, uh, and if, you know, and I do believe it's like another entity, it's like, no, that's not you. It's not yours. And just see it as the illness. And I have, rather than I am, and it's not mine, it's the illness, and um, it's easier to let it go then eventually, you know, in time or sooner rather than later. Uh, so that's a great... Exactly. I, yeah. No, I, I would agree with you 300% on that one, um, because um, from an energetic level, uh, in terms of my understanding of energetics, when we own uh, these these... Uh, energies that are not of our true divine selves, of our true essences, um, and in in our thinking it, that we own it, it's my it's my tumor, it's my cancer, it's my diabetes, so all of these things. Um, then the energy, it, the from an energetic perspective, it stays stuck. You know, so it's it, in my understanding, it's very important to disassociate from 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 that. 
Absolutely. And I think that's a great thing because you're owning it. It's going to want to stay with you longer. It's going to want to be part of you because you're saying it's mine, you know. So, OK, brilliant. That's a great point. Thank you so much. So, April, you've had, uh, I don't know, 20 plus years of uh, healing this uh, brain tumor or illness. And you've had a journey that's brought you all around the world uh, to different indigenous healers and um, different ways of looking at the illness and looking at the condition and looking at the tumour. Where, where do we want to begin with this? Where, where would you like to start thinking about it, if you don't mind? Because I know it's an amazing journey you had. Um, I, I think probably um, one, well, I mean, you know, I, I'm trained as a medical anthropologist and so we are trained to kind of think in terms of the cultural context in which uh, the interventions or the healing takes place. Um, and uh, I think um, there's no, like uh, Western people tend to be very causative and the Western kind of medical approach tends to be very causative. Um, so the tumor comes or, you know, the, the illness is caused by a tumor. Uh, and, you, you know, you keep going back, back until you get to a point where you can't answer that question anymore. So, so medicine cannot tell me why did the, the tumour grow? Um, but in my kind of experiences with indigenous healers, and in particular with plant medicines, those reasons have been revealed to me, and not by anybody telling me, um, but just through my own understanding. And what I would say really about um, those indigenous healers as well is that from a cultural perspective is that they have a very very different uh, view of the body you know the western uh, western medicine it tends to kind of the, the body is almost like a machine a robot's made up of all different parts you know but in the indigenous worldview the body is a whole the body is a whole so you can't do something to one part of the body without it affecting the whole body or, or other parts of the body, whereas that's kind of missed really in, in Western uh, medicine, in my view. Um, so that's why that they can do surgery, say, on the brain without, without kind of really paying attention to what, what kind of effects that may have on an orthopedic level, you know? So if you go into a, into the brain, then you're jangling the the bones of the cranium, and in turn goes down the spine and all the way down to the say ground all, all over the body. I mean, they can, it can manifest everywhere. And then the other uh, big cultural difference that was very very apparent to me was that the real care, um, that uh, the approach, the, the care of the women I worked with with gram with uh, Shipibo grandmothers in South America especially and they really just kind of scooped me up into their bosom and absolutely just stroked me back to wellness as best they could you know and then the other thing uh, the other uh, big thing um, about this was was their view of it wasn't illness is not something um, to uh, cut out of the body you know which is which is really what the what the medical um they understand that the body is well able to do it by itself if it is facilitated if the body is facilitated to heal itself it will heal itself you know so the body wants to heal the innate kind of homeostatic thrust in the body is to go towards healing um, and if that is supported and facilitated there's no reason why the body won't heal However, in the medical, in the kind of biomedical um, view, we just cut out the faulty part um, and, you know, we'll deal with, with something else later if, if we have to. And of course, there usually is something else to deal with later because you can't cut out uh, one body part without there being a knock-on effect on the whole body in some shape or form. So that makes a lot of sense, April. Um, that makes so much sense to me um, that course we are a whole and if you take a piece out of the whole the rest of what's left is going to scramble and be lost without that piece um and it makes sense it sounds lovely that those what did you call them habibo women shibo shibo is, is the name of the ethnic group yeah shibo women 
That's, they sound lovely. They sound really lovely. So were they um, in South America? They're from, uh, they're uh, an Amazonian dwelling uh, group um, from Peru. So um, a few days on the river south of Iquitos. And um, yeah, I think there's about 40,000 of them or something like that. And they, they have a, a very ancient uh, tradition uh, with plant medicines of, of the jungle around there. So their knowledge of the plants in the jungle. And I mean, to me, just as a white Westerner, you know, all the plants look pretty much the same in the jungle. You know, there's just so many of them, you know, it's just all green foliage and, and leaves or whatever. And they'd be able to just pick out the plant that would be needed for whatever, prepare it and uh, apply it to you. So their, their knowledge, this is, this is really, really precious uh, knowledge that, that they hold about the plants in, in the jungle and what their healing properties are. And also in the spirit level, uh, what the, so they work very much with the spirits of the plants as, as well and what, does, what, what plants bring in terms of spirit medicine. So they communicate with the spirits of the plant, do they? Of the plants? Yeah, pretty much. So they undergo what's called uh, dietas, and dietas are, is diets, and they basically restrict their diet right down, kind of there'd be no spices, sugar, salt, you know, meat, you know, all of those kind of uh, strong foods. Uh, so very, very simple foods, and um, not that much of them either, and also restrict uh, sexually and anything that kind of really raises the energy high um, and they may do that for it depends on the plant but if if they're dieting uh, a plant it may take anywhere between one year one week or two years depending on what the plant spirit requires and so they say so they will just take an infusion of that plant for the specified amount of time um, with the very restricted diet and, and lifestyle things and that the spirit of the plant teaches them in this way and so all of their knowledge come directly comes directly from the plants and so then they work with you um to, yeah that sounds fascinating do they work with you um do they pick a plant out yeah or you pick a plant out or no they they would kind of they describe themselves as channels so the plants tell them and so there'll be plant doctors that have very specific um um functions or or and uh, so if they if they have a, a large range of plant spirits in their repertoire they're able to draw from from any one of those plants so for example there'll be a plant that maybe cleans the channels or there's a, there's a plant that maybe improves your memory or clears eyesight or whatever but but the um healer must have a spirit relationship for, with the plant in order for the plant to work on a spiritual level with with the person that they're working with if that i hope that makes sense yeah yes. um if, if you're talking about the spirit spiritual um the spirit aspects of the plant rather than the the physical um healing properties um so how long did you spend there april i was about a year and a half in south america yeah most of it was in peru um yeah and um what did you come away from there with gratitude and just awe of um the kind of wondrousness of this planet and of people and um what kind of medicine is out there and what medicine is and what it can do you know and how it can change us um totally april when i'm listening to you i'm thinking did you do medical anthropology um did that come from having been sick or did you have an interest in it before you got sick um i think i probably a bit of both um okay. i probably did have an interest in it um before I uh, got ill and um, but I didn't really know that I was interested in it you know I wasn't when I went back at that age I wasn't really didn't really know what I was interested in you know I did psychology in in 
as my primary degree and I was really interested in that when I when I did that and by the time I left it I was quite disillusioned with it now that was over 20 years ago so psychology is in a, in a different place than what it was back then um, and I found that um, it, psychology back then was really trying very hard to be a science and I kind of felt that you couldn't be very scientific really about kind of the human condition and what's going on in, in somebody's mind and psychology and psyche. So I got very disillusioned with it. But And then uh, medical anthropology kind of, I was looking into what, what is it that uh, I am really interested in. And I started looking and that's what I found, you know, and that in particular, I was, I was uh, fascinated to work with the more to learn about the more obscure end of of uh, psychology such as dreams and shamans and magic and all of those kind of things that are not really available in in academia um, but medical anthropology kind of offered offered something of that you know it was really just uh, so interesting because very you know it was all about different cultures which i'm very interested in and then also about healing so I think it was a mix of both, to be honest, that at that time when I did that course, I was very ill, but I was also quite in denial about what was happening with me, you know, so maybe on a subconscious level, I was doing it because of my, because of, uh, of what was happening to me um, or part of the reason, but certainly I think I was, I was le le leaning towards that way anyway, that was kind of where my interest was. Well, it's amazing. I mean, I know you all that time, April. I know you since your early 20s and I remember you doing the course. But listening to you now and listening to that experience in Peru, um, you've just really, you've studied it. So you've used your head and then you've experienced it in your body, the different uh, healing cultures of the world, because you've, you've a lot of experience of Western medicine as well. Mm -hmm. um, and where else did you go on your travels? Um, I was also in Africa and mm. uh, I initiated in Africa in into a spiritual tradition there um, called Bwiti. And um, that was, that's very much, it's a spiritual, but it's a magical spiritual tradition. And um, I previously worked with a group, a French group who were over in England uh, in this particular tradition and um first ceremony that I and I, I went in blind I had no idea what I was doing going into it so I was just kind of grasping at straws looking for something that could help me and I went into that ceremony and uh I cannot tell I cannot say what happened I don't know what happened in that ceremony for me but I came out going this it had changed my life I knew I knew I'd come home I knew it um and um you know i could, couldn't articulate why i couldn't explain anything but i i i was i was like this is it this this is this is my way um so um after south america um i uh, an opportunity wound up to go to africa to go and work work with these people so i jumped at it um and went over and uh their initiation process so I'm now technically a, a priestess of the Wheaty mm -hmm. uh, which is which I'm delighted about it's it's absolutely amazing tradition and um, the depth of, of African spirituality it, it, it really really humbles me and it's it's very very deep you know and uh, they're, they're very much um, I wouldn't say just focused, but, you know, a big part of their tradition is the ancestors, you know, and uh, we all need ancestral healing. And so that, that really kind of brought home to me, you know, I was looking all over the world for, for healing in a way that was kind of more congruent with who I was, you know, and uh, the Western way just wasn't, it, just felt, felt, it was so jarring and, and kind of, cruel almost you know and I, I don't mean it of course it's not cruel but to me that's what it felt like it just felt so harsh and uh, mechanical and um, um, it, it just yeah I just wanted to run away from it uh, really you know so and that's kind of one of the reasons I did go looking into other cultures because I thought there must be something somewhere else but after having worked with the 
he lives in South America and then in Africa, um, and especially with the, the ancestral healing, I kind of realized actually there is a huge amount in my own culture that I don't know anything about, and I need to just rediscover this uh, because that's where, you know, we, we have a very, very rich spiritual heritage in this country that predates Christianity and Catholicism and that has for the most part been lost it's not completely lost but for the most part it's, it has just been kind of under the radar but um it's coming back and for me to really embrace and accept where I came from in all of its flaws um has been immensely healing for me you know so I mean I really I was very like a lot of people my age you know I just wanted to run the hell away from Ireland and from the oppression and from all the sinning and all of that you know all of that stuff and you know just like screaming out of the country like get me out of here but through working with uh, with other cultures, I've really come to uh, mend my relationship with the past and with where I come from and with Ireland and with my family history as well, which is middle class and kind of, you know, um, not a whole lot else really. Um, and um, it really helped oh, hold me. Hold on to... a minute. Hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not well, Sinjin Blake? Are you not um, <laughs> you not got a, a colourful ancestry? Are you one of the Blakes? Well, family tribes? Yes, uh, I am one of the my surname is one of the fourteen tribes of Galway, that is correct. And uh, I suppose um it doesn't I'm definitely not uh the, the 14 tribes of Galway are um Normans there were Normans so when the Normans came over they uh, um took over you know especially the trading places like Galway and so they and the, then of course the Normans became more Irish than the Irish themselves etc but the Blakes were one of the Norman families there so at this stage by the time my kind of line um of blakes came in we were catholic so the blakes divided into protestant and catholic we were catholic blakes which meant we were poor um and um yeah we we had long lost all of those castle grounds and you know many 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 generations back so i don't feel that uh you know that there's you know that there's no kind of very specific you know, aristocratic lineage or anything like that there, you know, um, but it did help, you know, I do appreciate my bloodline now so much more than what I did back then, you know, back then I, I um, just, uh, you know, didn't want to know about my Irishness. I didn't want to know about uh, my history and my bloodlines and all of that kind of stuff. And since, you know, since I've come back and really embraced it and really embraced Irish mythology and the rich Irish culture, you know, the rich spiritual heritage that we hear. And also the appreciation of the bloodlines, you know, of my, my father's bloodline and my mother's bloodline and the history of them. And, and, you know, how many women, all of the women, the lines of women that have come down to my mother to birth me, you know, and all of the lines of the men that came down to, to birth me. I mean, it's, it's a really, really, uh, I, I have great awe and gratitude um, f for this and for being born into into this culture, this Irish culture that is so rich and so amazing and so fun and uh, community orientated and beautiful people. And yeah, it's it's really um, it's. It's, I feel very fortunate to be Irish, actually, you know, very, very fortunate and very fortunate to be born into the family that I was born into, even though it, it, I didn't, of course, I didn't see it when I was young and abusing myself and hating the world and everything. But I really see it now, you know, and that's yeah. definitely, um, you know, I think maybe midlife as well, just a bit, little bit of maturity, too, you know, you just kind of cop on to actually your parents are actually amazing people. You know? So you went all around the world to the, the well, two different faraway continents, the indigenous people, and then you realized, hey, 
it's it's about being back here and looking into my own indigenous culture and my own family lines and appreciating them so great journey april thank you so much for sharing that with us um so how far did you go back with the irish indigenous culture are, are you talking celtic mythology when you're talking about the mythology are you yeah. talking about the the land the the um the yeah. and the, the you know the new grange and north and south and are you talking about that sort of um history I suppose I'm talking about, um, yeah, like, I mean, I Ireland has a very rich uh, megalithic heritage. You know, there's a lot of sites here that are aligned with um, cosmic happenings, you know. So, for example, the sunrise at Equinox, um, Loch Crewe would be very famous for, you know, the sun rises on the horizon and it enters the, the cairn and it lights up the chambers inside. So, um, all of these uh, kind of cairns and stone circles and various stone things that are, are scattered around Ireland are all aligned with these cosmic events, you know, with these celestial uh, conjunctions and uh, various things, you know. So this would tell us that the people who built those had very sophisticated knowledge about, uh, about the Earth's relationship with the cosmos and how to harness, uh, you know, the energy, solar energies and, and the lunar energies and within the earth plane, if that makes sense. So, yes. um, um, and also then if we're looking into kind of the Celtic pantheon and uh, the Celtic mythology, myths are really a way for people to understand the archetypes within them you know and the myths speak to to how we can live or resolve issues or you know understand what is happening you know so um ornia for example the goddess ornia now she she would be very much be a summer solstice uh goddess a goddess a solar goddess of the summer solstice and usually uh, solar deities are male because the sun is, is perceived to be male, but she's very much, a, she's a female one. And in her mythology, um, she was raped by uh, a king and she bit off his ear in the process. Oh. And um, she- Good for her. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he lost his kingship because of it, because kings had to be physically perfect and physically whole in order to hold a kingship. So she embodies this justice and this right for women not to be violated and for, you know, uh, retribution, right retribution, if such a thing happens, you know. So connecting with this deity, for example, really help with sexual trauma um, for women in particular and to, to bring through this kind of solar, solar the, the nourishing aspects of, of the light of the solar um, light okay um, that's that's so, very um, interesting um i never knew any of that um okay well let me see uh april what has been your greatest challenge in life so far i think uh the biggest challenge um well it's, it's one aspect of the illness which is what it did to my face basically because the the illness or what happened to my face shall we say and um, the illness causes the lower jaw to grow uh, and also the hands the feet and the inner organs but in terms of the facial pr presentation it causes the the lower jaw to grow abnormally big and so i've wound up with an extremely odd looking face um and one that has tended to be to have been perceived as masculine or transgender and so as a woman um to kind of lose your prettiness you know because women are meant to be pretty and i don't even mean that just as on a kind of a you know media level like you know women are are created beautiful you know and this is this is part of the heritage of being a woman so to lose that was extremely challenging for me and extremely difficult uh, because and not only i mean that that part could be okay but it was kind of how i was uh, reacted to and perceived in the social realm you know i would have 
people abusing me on the street, um, you know, just walking by, minding my own business because they kind of perceive me as transgender and shouting abuse at me. Or I've come across so many, I've been in so many different situations. I mean, ridiculous amount of situations where people have made up their mind about what I am just based on, on what they've seen in my face. Um, and it's usually, it's not always, uh, but it, it, it's often been very negative, even though it's kind of, and so I've really had to learn how to separate what other people perceive me as, uh, as and what I am. Yes, you know? that sounds like a huge challenge. How did you deal with that? Jesus. <laughs> it took time. Yeah. It just took time, you know. Um, I mean, I really had to kind of um, come to know and, and, and I mean, know to every cell of my being that what other people see me as is not me. It's not who I truly am, you know. Who I truly am and who every single person on this planet is is an aspect of the divine. That's who we truly are um, and what other people perceive that that april would be a challenge more than any anybody i know um and giving you an insight into what um what people with uh, transgender transgender people or transsexual people are going through you had uh you had yeah for sure means that yeah and i feel um i feel a lot of compassion for transgender people because of this you know because that is not an easy decision to make to um you know um change your what you present as as a gender to the world it's very very difficult because the world is, it is very um uh, biased and negative towards uh, that kind of thing you know now i can't really offer too much more because i don't know that many uh, transgender people I am, ironically, a very straight woman. That's what I am. That's what I identify as, you know? So it's kind of interesting that, like, all these kind of, you know, different sexual or gender spectrum things are put onto me when I'm just a boring old woman who likes men, you know? So I don't really have an awful lot of insight into, into the, you know, the whole... Uh, transgender thing you know um all i know is that like from my perspective i really have to question um you know what am i am i a man or am i a woman you know and because i have a i have a big body i'm big boned um and then my face became very masculinized and it took me a long time to uncover the layers of that and ultimately i came down to I just feel like a woman, you know, that's that. And I have periods every month and it wasn't even about the periods. It was just about, I feel like a woman. Nothing more needs to be said about that. You know, I don't need to answer to anybody else more than that. And I don't think transgender people need to answer anymore. If they feel like a woman, they are a woman. There, there's nothing else to say. So that's what I've got to say about that. But I mean, I suppose it really really you know i really had to because i was getting all of this kind of um stuff being projected on me you know like uh, i'm you know just a transgender or transvestite or fucking this or whatever you know um i really had to dig deep to find well where is my beauty and my beauty the beauty everyone's beauty is on the inside it's not in how you look it's what comes from the inside you know and uh, i found it Thank God I found it, you know, because we all have it. We all have it. This, this potential and this possibility, um, it, it, it just is. It just is that every single person on this planet is, is uh, beautiful underneath it all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow, you're so inspiring, April. April, um, is there an achievement you are particularly proud of? Mm, yeah, I swam around Brayhead once. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is an. <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was a great personal achievement for me because um, I really struggled with getting e exercise into my routine. You know, there's a whole 
there's a whole other huge story there, which I'm not going to go into. But just uh, one year, I was like, you know what, I've got to sort this out. So I started training swimming. And over the course of the summer, myself and a friend trained um, ourselves and, uh, you know, got into the water, you know, every other day and, you know, swam, you know, and built, built ourselves up uh, until and that, that swim is four kilometers. And, and that it took us two and a half hours. I mean, that, that's not very fast, really, but it doesn't matter. It was it was an enormous personal achievement for me because I've never done anything really a great physical uh, challenge like that. So, so that's what comes to mind when you ask that. Uh, you well, know, that's, what, what <laughs> that's some achievement, April. April. What are your visions and hopes and dreams for the future? Um, well, like for me, um, for me personally, my my hope and my dream is to. Uh, live in a place that um, is congruent with my health and what I mean by that is that I'd like to self-build and uh, build something that's completely non-toxic, something that supports me creatively and supports my healing and supports me to kind of live close to nature simply with good water, good people, nice organic food around me and that's really it. I mean I don't see that my my personal health is divorced from the environment around me. So I really want to live kind of harmoniously in my local environment and, you know, in, in good relationship with all the elements of, of that environment, like the water and the food and the animals and and the people. So that's really my vision. And, and the, for that vision to expand out to the whole world, for all people to have that opportunity to live in peace and to live in harmony with with their environment and with other people. Wow. April, you're very conscious of uh, all the really good things to think about and uh, to put into your environment. You're really, you're really conscious about, you know, what you eat, the water, the, the area surrounding you and the people that surround you. That's, uh, if only we were all so conscious. Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I have uh, the illness to thank for that because, um, you know, it really, really pushed me to kind of look at everywhere that, that there was toxicity in my life and, and, and address every level of it, you know, so in my relationships, in my emotional, you know, where, where I was kind of, um, you know, I, I would call myself an angry person at one point, you know, I had a lot of anger and frustration and all of that. Um, it occasionally comes up now, but I'm much, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that kind of toxic kind of person, you know, so, and then also the, the negative thoughts and, you know, oh, you're not worthy, you're horrible, you're just ugly, horrible thing, you know, all of those, all of those things, you know, so I mean, illness really shined a light on all of these things that I was, in how I was engaging in in toxicity and toxic behavior and what I was putting in my body and, you know, in how I was acting in the world. So I feel very blessed. I mean, the illness is, is, has been a brutal teacher in, in some ways, you know, but it's also been extremely um, sage, wise and astute. And, you know, I feel, I feel very blessed that um, it chose me to teach it to because um, I, it's an honor actually it's an honor you know um yeah i i feel i've really kind of um come through the the murk um and you know like you know of course life it never stops you never stop learning and of course i'm far from perfect and i still you know i still do find myself in in doing toxic things and going but I, i'm able to catch myself at it quicker and and rectify it you know so um you know and yeah there's still an awful lot to learn and you know far from from the most amazing person i i see myself as i could be um um but um i do have the knowledge now or you know for the most part of what it takes of what what it was what i need to do in order to to be this vision of myself as the highest potential that I can be on this earth. Wow. Very inspirational, April. Thank you very much. Um, would you have any nugget of wisdom 
or a legacy that you could pass on to um, a younger generation or our generation, anybody really? Um, I think that the most um, empowering thing for me or the nugget is uh, take absolutely 100% full responsibility for everything that you are experiencing in life. So if I can make that into an example for me, um, when people were abusing me as kind of being a transgender and all of this mistaken stuff that was being projected on me, once I could like go around going, oh my God, like he's doing that and she's doing that and the world is so horrible. But actually once I took full responsibility for that happening to me is when I was able to transmute it and change it and um, for it not to affect me, for not to, uh, you know, so it was only, it was my reaction to it that I could control, not what other people are doing. You can't control what the world is doing, but you can control your reaction to it. And that's where change happens. That is the, that is the key to change. And, and so I would say, it doesn't matter what the hell is going on around you or in you, once you take full personal responsibility for absolutely everything that you are experiencing in the world that's when change will come be empowering extremely empowering yeah absolutely that is that is some that is that's blown my mind april like you took responsibility for your reactions to them because i think you know when something like that happens so if someone I think it's a Buddhist uh, teaching as well, that if, uh, if someone slings an arrow at you, what we often do is take that arrow and put it in again, you know? So if somebody does something to hurt us, often our response is to take whatever they've done and, and dig it in deeper so that we go, oh gosh, it must be because I'm awful. So we end up wounding yeah. it twice. But what you are yeah. saying, what I think you're saying is that you decided not to do that. And those people are saying things, but you decided not to react, not to be angry, not to be hurt. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. And I don't like it wasn't it wasn't didn't happen in one moment. You know, it took many, many years of, of practicing. And, and also what I would say energetically, what is happening on that level in, in, from an energy perspective. If somebody is throwing a, you're so ugly at me, the only reason that that arrow, if you want to conceive of it as an arrow, comes into me and affects me is because on some level, I believe it. So that's what's happening energetically is that, yes, there is a part of me that believes I am ugly. And so therefore, the people who are throwing these ugly things at me are affecting me because I feel yes i am ugly you know so it's it's a very um it, these things are not easy to change because i mean basically um you know we come through into the earth with all of this ancestral stuff we come in with a lot of collective stuff we come in with karma we come in with all of these things and, and in the irish psyche in particular um is is very prone to guilt and sin and not good enough and you know downtrodden that that's a very very irish thing you know and and so you know people throwing you're bad you're bad it's very easy for irish people to believe because that's that's kind of our heritage you know and that's what we're clearing at the moment so yeah it's really you do have to kind of um dig have to go through the layers and keep clearing wherever those nuggets are that those false self-appraisals that I am ugly, I am not good enough, I am this, I am that. So every time you say, I am ugly or I am unworthy, you are reaffirming on an energetic level that you are those things, where in fact you are not those things. You are a divine being. We are, I am a divine being. I am love, we are love. And so we need to keep practicing coming back to that. Keep practicing. Now, of course it takes a long time it does take time and it takes practice there is no such thing as a magic wand where we're going to going to just change our internal world with this wave of a stick it's not going to happen we have to practice it so every time 
your sister and you get into an argument and you're getting annoyed, you know, each and you're aware, once you're aware, then every time it happens, it will be less and less and less and less. But it does, it just, it just takes, yeah, unfortunately or fortunately or whatever, it's work. It is work. Yeah. Oh, it is work. April, I could talk to you for many more hours. We didn't even touch on your energy work. We haven't even touched on that, so maybe we'll do that another time. Um, yeah. I cannot wait to read your book. I well, really, thank you. <laughs> really fascinated with what you're saying. Um, where can people find you online, April? Uh, so my website is uh, dawnoverwater.net. Dawnoverwater.net. Okay, and I will yeah. put that up on the, uh, the show notes. April, right. it's been an absolute pleasure. I um, always love talking to you, but this has been an amazing interview for me personally. <laughs> anyway, I've got so much out of it. Um, you're truly uh, spiritual and truly inspirational and I love your work your medical anthropology and I really cannot wait to read your book when are we going to see it oh Jesus as soon as hope has possible I, I hope um, I, I, I really don't know it's kind of I've never written a book before so it's kind of how long is a piece of string and I'm not too far off I mean one chapter at the minute I'm one chapter away from a very rough manuscript and in my understanding in writing books that there's there's like the, uh, this is kind of only just one one part you know so there's kind of an edit part and there's another part I don't know to be honest but I do want to I, I would like it out there soon if possible yeah so well um, yeah. I look forward to it I can't wait to see it April uh you're an inspiration thanks very much and I will say this is Carol Fitzpatrick signing off for Lady Time if you enjoyed our conversation please tune in again for upcoming shows and please share the link with your friends thank you for listening